Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You have joined us in the very first episode of a new series that I'm calling Deep Church, The Battle for the Truth. Let's turn to the book of Jude, which is in the near the end of the New Testament, almost at the back of your Bible. If you're using some type of device, uh, like a iPhone or iPad or something like that, uh, look up the book of Jude. And there's only one chapter, so just look up Jude and you'll be where you need to be. In this series, Deep Church, the battle for the truth, I'm going to speak very directly to believers in Christ. If you are not yet a believer in Christ, the main thing that I want you to hear is that there is objective truth. There is truth about Jesus Christ, about how to go to heaven. There's truth about sin and forgiveness. But I speak primarily in this series, to believers in Christ. Now, in the book of Jude, this letter that we're starting this series in, and it may take us, um, I don't know, four, five, six weeks to go through this, I'm also intentionally going to do this in such a way that it it will hopefully be instructive to you in how to read your Bible and how to interpret the Bible that you read. Too often when believers read the Bible, they say something like, to me, this verse means, and then they'll give some complete opposite meaning of what the verse actually states. So we're going to be operating on the principle of of what does it say I mean, literally, what is in the verse? What does it mean, you know, properly interpreted within the context of overall Scripture? And what does it mean to me? And you only, you only get to what does it mean to me after you have seen exactly what it says and what it means, and then there's an application of how that affects your faith in your life, in your walk in this world. Well, we're talking today about fighting for the faith, fighting for the faith. So let's go to this small letter, this epistle of Jude. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called, Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Now let's ask an important question. The very first word in this letter is the name of the author, Jude. Who who was Jude? Who is Jude, the writer of this letter? And then we're going to look at Jude, the letter. Well, the writer is 
giving a description of who he is. He says that he is a servant. This is the Greek word doulos, and it is the lowest form of a slave in the Roman Empire. It is a bond slave, and Jude calls himself the bond slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, that gets our attention because we believe, and we have every reason to believe this, that Jude was the brother of James, and they together were the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were born to Mary and Joseph, uh, Joseph being their father's uh, father, rather, and they grew up with Jesus Christ in that home. He was their older brother. But Jude does not... Uh, directly claim to be the brother of Jesus Christ because he sees Jesus Christ as resurrected, ascended, glorified, and coming again. He sees him as God, not just the brother that he grew up with. And that's an important thing because it it shows that Jude came from unbelief to belief after the resurrection of Christ because his brothers and sisters did not believe in him until he rose from the dead and then they came to faith in him as being the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, indeed God. Now Jude the letter, this is, this is important what we're about to lay down right here. What about this little letter? Well, it was written as early as the 70 ADs, maybe even sooner than that. And that's important because it shows us that when Jude talks about the faith once for all delivered to the saints, that is that body of, of Christian faith, of doctrine, this was not something that was decided by a church council, you know, 300 years after the resurrection of Christ. Right here, early in the first century, mid-century, there was a clearly defined doctrine that Christians believed. All Christians believed the same thing. Not some, and they didn't believe different things, they believe the same thing, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So you see Jude the writer and Jude the letter, but let's get into what he, what he says about the people that he's writing to, the recipients of that letter. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. That word sanctified is a word that means that we have we are the objects of God's sacrificial undeserved love. We are loved by God the Father. And I want to tell you if you're going to get in the position where you are standing for the truth, you better know that you are loved by God the Father because you're going to be hated by a lot of people. And I'm talking about within the church. 
also he says he's writing to these people who are uh, not only sanctified by God the Father, but this, we and preserved in Jesus Christ. We are guarded, we are kept in, in Christ. So if we get into this fight for the faith, we get right in this battle for the truth with deep church. Now, why, why do I use the phrase deep church? Well, here in 2019, we've been hearing about deep state, the government within the government within the government in the United States and, and most, most governments around the world. There's the apparent government, what appears to be the government, and there are levels and layers of that, like an onion of the people that are really calling the shots or want to be calling the shots, let's put it that way. So the same thing is true within the, the true church of Jesus Christ. You see, there are people within the church, and I'm not talking about like, quote, the, the church, like the Catholic church, all churches there are people within the Christian church at large at every level, but especially at the highest levels, who do not really believe what you believe from the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying everybody in some position of leadership is like that, but I'm just saying that it's very common, especially in and many churches who've already uh, gone over the waterfall and crashed into, you know, the lake below, like Niagara Falls, in terms of doctrine and what is true. So if you or I are going to end up standing for this faith, battling for the truth, fighting for the Christian faith, we need to know that we are loved by God the Father and that we are kept, we are guarded, we are watched over by Jesus Christ. And also it says, uh, and called. You know, it wasn't my idea to become a Christian. It was God's idea. God called me. He called you and invited you into the faith. So you have been called into belief in Jesus Christ, and you have been called, therefore, as a believer, to believe and defend the faith. So Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Now, we as believers in Christ have already been shown the mercy of God. When Jesus Christ laid aside his, his rightful prerogatives as God and came to earth to assume human form and live among us and then to, to take our sin upon himself on the cross, crucified dead, buried, and resurrected, we receive the mercy of God. Because you know why? I was supposed to be on that cross Jesus died on. He died on your cross. And yet, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is the one and only sinless, perfect sacrifice 
that could pay the penalty for our sin, he took the wrath of God upon himself in his body. Because of that, you and I are the happy recipients of the mercy of God. Mercy unto you and peace. You know, if we're going to get in a, a, a battle, it's gonna, we're going to have to buy a lot of Pepsi. <laughs> You're going to have to stock up on Tom's. It's, it is hard to stand for the truth, and you really don't have a choice. But you know what? God writes here that he wants you and I to enjoy more and more of his mercy and his peace and his love, that, that sacrificial love that loves us, not because we deserve it, but because he chooses to love us. So mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied, that, that it just be more and more and more poured into our life. All right, look at verse 3. And we'll probably stop here with verse 3 here shortly. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, before we break this verse down here, I want to build a framework so that we can all understand this correctly. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was being tried by Pilate, the governor of uh, Judea? Do you remember that in the Gospels? Pilate said at one point uh, just a terrible statement he made. What is truth? You remember that? Well, the world is saying that today, and it's, it's one thing for the world to say that, but it is a whole nother problem when that happens within the church. You see, I'm not responsible to fix the world. The world is really messed up. But when the messed upness of the world begins to invade the church, and people within the church are challenging what is truth, that's a problem. And we're called to fight for the faith. We are called to battle for the truth against this, this deep church, sort of like the deep state, uh, you know, the church version of deep state, which is undermining everything we believe in. Francis Schaeffer was a great theologian and writer. And if you have not read any of Francis Schaeffer's books, I want you to find one and read it. But he spoke often about true truth. Now, what did Dr. Schaeffer mean when he said true truth? Well, if you ever had somebody say to you, uh, you can hear how much trouble is in the world with the sirens behind me there. <laughs> Those are not sound effects. That's the world we live in. Um, Dr. Schaefer talked about true truth. And what that means is, what he meant was this. Have you ever had someone say to you, well, that's your truth, but my truth is this. 
Or uh, even like Pilate said, what is truth? Who knows what truth is? There is there is no objective, factual truth. There's just whatever you believe. Well, Dr. Schaefer pointed out that in the Bible, that's completely not what we believe. We believe there is true truth. There is a defined set of Christian doctrine from the Old Testament and then, of course, the New Testament. We know the doctrines of the Bible. We know what that is. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's easily defined, but you have to work at it. But it's there. And it's the original Christian doctrine the church was born with and grew upon. Well, that true truth, that Christian doctrine, is being, shockingly, is being ejected from the church, it seems like, at every turn. And I'm going to give you examples of that toward the end of this particular episode. Uh, of this podcast. So Schaefer pointed out that, you know, it, it got to the point, even in his day, that there was the idea it was just there's a death of truth, that there is no true truth anymore. There is no objective truth. That may be true for you, but it doesn't mean it's true for me. And you know what that leads to? Crazyville, okay? It leads to an insane world that is very hard to live in, and that's where we are today. So that's why we need to know that we're loved, we are guarded and kept, and we are called by God, why we need more and more experience on a on an everyday basis of His mercy and His peace and His love. You see, fighting is hard. Fighting is extremely hard. But we don't have the liberty of just being ugly and vicious like Antifa is. We can't be like them because that's not being like Christ. And yet we can learn how to fight for the faith in a way that is, that is true to um, the Christian truth and also models Jesus Christ. We can be dogmatic, and that's usually used in a and in a bad sense, but it just means that you stand for true truth. You stand for doctrine. We can be dogmatic, um, as one person said, without being bulldogmatic. <laughs> in other words, we can stand for the truth without being ugly about it. Now, it can get intense, but that doesn't mean that we end up hating the people that we are defending the truth against because of their error, their apostasy, their falling away from the truth. The other thing we have to be careful about is, though there are certainly mountains on which we should battle, we do not want to fall into the trap of making a mountain out of every molehill. So be careful about that. Nevertheless, because we are loved by God, we're kept and guarded by Christ, we've been called to this whole Christian faith by, by God, and we can experience His mercy and peace and love more and more all the time. Because of that, um, if there is a hill that we come to and it's a hill to die on, then, then that's what we need to do, and we can do it 
like Christ would do it. We fight from victory. We don't fight for it. We've already got the victory in Christ. All right, let's go to verse 3 again. Beloved, so who, who is he writing here to? Well, the beloved, the beloved, that would be specifically Christians. He's not writing to people who are not Christians. The beloved are those who who are loved by God in terms of belief in Jesus Christ. He's writing to Christians, to the people who are saved, to believers in Christ. So, um, in other words, the, the people who are to fight for the faith, well, it's not the the world or people outside the Christian faith, they don't care. They don't even know what it is. He's talking to you and to me. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which, which was once delivered unto the saints. So, What does he say here? He wanted to write unto them about the common salvation, you know, to to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and, you know, kind of like keep it positive. Now, I don't mean that in a wrong way. I mean, that's what he wanted to write about. But he was led, I'm sure, by the Spirit and by what he saw around him. He, instead, instead of you know, wanted to write to you about the coming salvation, he needed to write unto you to contend for the faith. So what he wanted to do was write about, you know, what it what is how great it is to be saved, to belong to Jesus Christ because of the gospel of Christ. But instead he had to write to them about about struggling to, to defend the faith. Now, the Greek word there, uh, earnestly contend, it's two words in English, but in Greek, it's one long Greek word, epagonizomai. Say, what in the world does that mean? Well, I could tell you what it means, and I will, but I'm going to give you a, uh, an illustration, and you will completely get it, okay? So, he says here, you know, Hey, I, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Notice it's the faith, by the way. We'll look at that more in just a minute. Earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This word uh, in Greek, where it's translated here, um, earnestly contend, It is the idea of an intense fight, an intense struggle. Now, here's the illustration. When I give it to you, you will know what this word means. Um, I had two sons, still have them, in fact. Both of them got on the wrestling team in high school. And I would go to some of their practices, but I would go to uh, a lot of their matches and I tell you what, you know, people talk about how hard it is to be an athlete, to be a football player, basketball player, baseball player, soccer player, sissies. Yeah, I said it. All sissy sports. How can you say that, Ed? See, I, I like football. I like baseball. I like football more than baseball. 
uh, and uh, they won't let me play basketball. I'm not tall enough. All right, so anyway, I like those sports, but I tell you what, when I would go to those wrestling matches my sons were in, and they, and they wrestled at a very high level, even got to uh, the state matches, and I, I think in, hard to remember, I think in both cases, they were within a victory or two from being state champions. So they were pretty good. But here's what I noticed when I would go and watch them or, or watch any of the people wrestling in high school. It's not like football. You know, you run a play, plays over, everybody huddles up. Uh, when it's your match, you're in it. Now, there there may be, you know, where the, where the referee calls a reset, you know, but it's not like you have a halftime or something. It ain't like that. And once you engage with your opponent, you are in it, and he is trying to pin you, and you're trying to pin him, and every single muscle is straining. You are sweating. It is very, very intense. That's the word here. We should earnestly contend for the faith. In the Greek, that word the is there in Greek too. That's a definite article. So there is there is a an objective, established, specific body of truth, the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. And the point I'm making earlier, the point I made earlier, rather, about Jude being a, a fairly early epistle in the church is by the time he writes this, this is this is already clearly recognized. This is not something that took hundreds of years or thousands of years to define. It, it's what all Christians believed, period. And it, it was once delivered unto the saints. It was, was given to us and entrusted, actually, is, is what it means. It wasn't just given. It was, it was like a very valuable thing entrusted to us. It is a, a set, definite, established belief system starting from the Old Testament into the New Testament. And it was clearly defined because Paul spoke about it and Jude speaks about it here. I'm going to give you some verses real quick. I'm not going to look these up. You, have, you can do your own homework. Here you go. These are just a few. There are many more, but here's three. You can look up 2 Corinthians 10.5. You can look up Titus 1.9. And you can look up 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Titus 1, verse 9. 1 Timothy 4, verse 6. And there are several other references. So, so it didn't take a church council to meet, you know, like 300 years later to figure out what we're going to believe. It was already set. It was already known. There was the faith. Now, Christ even used this phrase in Luke 18, 8, where he, he asked a rhetorical question that when the Son of Man comes, you know, like in the second coming, Will he find the faith on the earth? Definite article, the, in front of the word faith. Some argue that it's talking about sort of like that kind of faith, 
that he had just spoken about, about the widow who who kept uh, going to the unjust judge, and finally the judge gave up and granted her her petition. But I, I think that's a kind of a weak argument, and here's why. The, the reason in that story that Jesus gave, the reason the widow continued to go after the judge like that and, and ask, plead for his help was she was persevering based on truth. You follow that? And Christ, even if he was referring back to uh, would he find that type of faith, like the faith that the widow had in the story, would he find that when he returned? Well, again, even that faith was based on true truth. You see what I'm saying? So, Anyway, I don't want to get too deep into that. The point I'm making is the church has been entrusted with the truth of the gospel, the truth about Christ, the truth about God, the truth about salvation, about the Christian life, about future things, all of that. We've been given that as a very valuable trust that we are to defend and take care of. I'm going to tell you something, friends. We are headed for deep waters in America. I'm assuming many of you who listen are, are citizens of the United States. We've had it fairly easy for a long time as Christians, but we're heading for a future that's going to be a lot harder than easier. And if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I want to challenge you to be one of those who, maybe you already do it, but maybe you don't. So you need to learn how to be one of those who fight for the faith. And it may be just only in your own Sunday school class or, or your church or in your city or maybe even your denomination, your school that you're in, your Christian school or college or seminary. So the faith is a gift from God. It's definite. It's established. It's not like foggy and vague. It's clear cut. And we are to stand for that and be faithful to Christ. Now, just without getting into a lot of detail at this point, we, we will get into it more as we go along in future episodes. There's two things that, that strike me pretty clearly about this defection from the truth. It it's uh, it's accompanied with blatant immorality, like same-sex marriage and people living together before they get married. You know, that's okay now. I mean, quote, even among, quote, Christians. You, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's blatant immorality is, is justified, and it's part and parcel of the defection from the truth. And the second thing is blasphemous, theology or blasphemous, blasphemous infidelity, that is a, a, an unfaithfulness to the truth. Things that, that we have always all known for sure were right and correct and proper and decent are being tossed out like the baby being tossed out with the bathwater, that we, we use that illusion sometimes. I mean, Things are being justified, and not just justified, but defended and advocated for 
not just in the world. You see, this letter isn't written to the world. It's written to the church. These things are starting to happen and been happening for some time within the church. Blatant immorality and blasphemous infidelity. And we'll, we'll get a lot more into that, but those are two hallmarks of this apostasy from the truth. Now, let me define deep church just a little bit more. Say, well, how come deep church is a lot like deep state? <laughs> Duh. Satan is against God. Satan runs deep state. Satan runs deep church. Do you, do you, are you starting to get the picture here? So we have an adversary who is against the truth. He hates God. He hates the truth. He hates you if you stand for the truth and you belong to Jesus Christ. So how does deep church work? Well, it starts with dilution of the truth. We, we thought, we used to know what the truth was. Well, now we're not, you know, we're not too sure. Maybe this really means this, you know, that kind of stuff. And it goes from dilution of the truth to domination, for example, of a church or a Bible college or a seminary. See, some Christians wrongly assume that if they just go along to get along and they play nice, you know, the other side will too. And that ain't what's going to happen, friends. What's going to happen is the people who hate the truth and want to change the truth want to dominate. There will eventually be domination of your church or your Bible college or your seminary or whatever it is by those who hate the truth. And then there's destruction because they will destroy that church, that Bible college, that seminary because it's just part of Satan's program. There's no point in even getting upset with them. They can't help it. <laughs> I mean, they should repent. Don't get me wrong on that. But I'm just saying, they're just doing what comes naturally because they are lost. And we'll see this more as we go further. Say, Brother Ed, that's a pretty bold statement right there. Well, hey, I don't write checks with my mouth that my theology can't back up. And more than that, that the Bible can't back up. So you come back for the next episode and let's see if I can deliver on that. I'm pretty sure I can. So what we're dealing with today is a, a word that you probably heard before, but you just you probably don't even use the word apostasy. And that's two Greek words, apo, like away from, to stand away from, and stasis, that is something um, solid. So apostasy is is standing away from the truth that is defecting from the truth. For example, that Jesus Christ is not God or that the virgin birth didn't really happen or, you know, you just you just go down a long list. That's apostasy. And then another thing that's very, very much a part of this is arrogance. The people who, who defect from the truth and they ruin churches, ruin Bible colleges, ruin seminaries, ruin nations... They're arrogant. They're almost always arrogant. There is an arrogance about them that is um, hard to take sometimes. So there's apostasy, there's arrogance, and there is appalling behavior. Uh, 
we'll get more into that as we go along. But let me just give you some examples here. We have seminaries and Bible colleges. Even, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, I'm starting to find out. Uh, it's shocking. Uh, how bad has it gotten? Well, critical race theory, which is a crazy theory, has been introduced into some of our, our Southern Baptist seminaries, and it needs to be introduced right back out. There is social justice warriorism. Now, hey, listen, when you read the Bible, Jesus cares about the poor. God loves the widow and the orphan, and we should always do good and do right. Okay, so we're all over that. But social justice warriorism is, uses that kind of as the cover, but it has a whole different agenda that it's really pushing. That has gotten into Bible colleges and seminaries and churches. You see, there's a lot of churches that defected from the truth long ago, like 50 years, 100 years ago. I mean, they're gone. They're, we're not getting them back. But I'm talking about what, what recently were Bible-believing, evangelistic, soul-winning churches, Bible colleges, and seminaries are going over the waterfall. And this is truly distressing. Other things like the LGBT movement. Hey, I, I love people uh, that have same-sex attraction. But that's a sin. And that's a sin just like adultery or fornication or stealing. And all of us are just sinners. Jesus loves them as much as he loves anyone. So we're not against people who have... Um, who struggle with that sin. But this, this um, theology is being introduced even into our seminaries and Bible colleges in very subtle ways and churches. Other things like intersectionality. I can't even explain that. I know what it is. Look it up. Um, I don't have time to explain that. There is feminist worship that has started invading churches. I, I even heard, now this is a, I won't name the denomination, but it is a denomination that went over the waterfalls long ago uh, regarding the Bible. But nevertheless, most people think of it as a Christian denomination. And I heard one of their pastorettes, a woman pastor, and we can get into that too if you want. But I heard one of their pastorettes uh, lead a congregational prayer. I heard this with my own ears on the radio. I could not believe it. But she called God the mother of us all. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The Bible is the Word of God. Every word is inspired. And the Holy Spirit for whatever reason, assigns masculine pronouns to God. There's not one exception to that. And every single time it's a masculine pronoun. He, him, father, son, you know, that kind of thing. There's none of this uh, God is the mother of all, of, of us all stuff in the Bible. That is ancient feminist worship. It is against God. It is against truth. I just couldn't believe what I heard, but it's out there. There is creature worship or creation worship rather than worshiping the creator that, as Romans, the book of Romans talks about. Uh, recently, now there's a super liberal denomination, uh, 
super liberal seminary up in New York called Union Theological Seminary, and it went over the waterfall. Like, I don't know, two hundred years ago, is is gone. You know, and I, I'm so what I'm about to tell you doesn't shock me, but I, I want you to hear what I'm going to say so you can go. You got to be kidding me. Uh, this past fall, I believe it was. I don't know the exact date, but it's this is well documented. <laughs> it may have been in the spring around the, uh, uh, you know, worship the Earth Day in the spring or whatever, whenever that is, Earth Day. Uh, they had a room set up at that seminary where they were apologizing to trees and plants for destroying the Earth. I'm not making this up. They're totally gone. They're nuts. <laughs> I mean, hey, search it online. You, you can find it for yourself. It's there. We're told by mega pastors of mega churches that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know how we do that because the Old Testament is interwoven deeply into the New Testament. We have the prosperity gospel destroying the Christian truth by introducing a basically false gospel and confusing people. Uh, anyway, I just gave you those as examples. And I love everybody. I want everybody to come to faith in Jesus. But when it comes down to, to changing the truth to a lie that causes people to believe the lie and not believe the truth and miss Jesus by a million miles and die and spend eternity in hell, that's when we have to draw the line. You get what I'm saying? This is going to be a tough little series right here. And if, if you're faint of heart, you probably don't need to come back. But if you really love Jesus and you know we need a, a tune-up clinic on this, let's talk about this from the book of Jude like we've been talking today about fighting for the faith, we're going to talk about deep church, the battle for the truth for the next several weeks. Well, I'm so happy you joined us. You didn't have to do that. I hope you feel like your time has been well spent and uh, probably your head's spinning a little bit from what we talked about, but none of this is new. It was a, it was a problem when Jude wrote this back in you know, 60, 70 A.D., right in there. The problem is that old. It's just somebody has put their foot down on the accelerator here lately, and we're going to have to really get with it. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, tell others about our podcast, www.dredhill.podbean.com. There's no period after that DR. So um, this week in the Word, that's where the home of it is. We can be found, I think, on Spotify and uh, Apple, we can be found on uh, Google Play. So just, just tell them, hey, the easy way is just type into their browser, www.dredhill.podbean.com. Thanks again for listening. Look forward to you joining us on our next episode. God bless. Bye-bye.